0: Are you in college or know someone who is? The Thomistic Institute Study Abroad Program is now accepting applications for the spring semester of 2025. Live steps from the Colosseum with like-minded students and explore the ancient and medieval intellectual tradition of Rome at the Dominican Order's Pontifical University of St. Thomas Aquinas. Don't miss this life-changing opportunity. Limited spots are available. For more information, Go to ThomisticInstitute.org slash Rome. That's ThomisticInstitute.org slash Rome. Welcome to the Thomistic Institute podcast. Our mission is to promote the Catholic intellectual tradition in the university, the church, and the wider public square. The lectures on this podcast are organized by university students at Thomistic Institute chapters around the world. To learn more and to attend these events, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. Humility is the virtue that is opposed to pride, and humility is in part generated by and sustained by the gift of fear. Let's talk about those things. So, you don't have any more confusion about the topic. Well, we will talk about pride here in a moment. I want to begin with a story. I, it's not the story I wanted to begin with. I was just speaking to my wife, Allison, during the break. And she, she said, look, don't tell that story. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a good look. <laughs> uh, then she called me back just to say, yeah, just don't tell that story. Just make sure. So. I will tell I'm going to tell a slightly different story. I was in the car on Tuesday with my six-year-old daughter, Greta. And I just picked her up from her soccer game, or her soccer practice, rather. And she's six years old. She's incredibly precocious and hilarious and unnerving and everything else in between. We love her. This is what she says to me. I I need to make sure I get this right. So she says, Dad, what do you think about riddles? And I said, I like riddles, she said. I have a couple of riddles. Uh, she first said, so if you have 100 b- bricks on a plane and one falls off, how many are left? Doesn't sound like much of a riddle. One? Correct. She moves on. <clears throat> uh, how do you put a unicorn in the in a refrigerator? And I'm thinking, I have no idea. You open up the refrigerator, and you jam the unicorn in the refrigerator. Okay? How do you put a T-Rex in the refrigerator? Uh, you open it up and put it, jam it in there? No, you take the unicorn out first, then you put the T-Rex in. Okay? Now, suppose you're walking down the street, and you're talking to your friend, and something hits you in the head, and you just fall over. Bang! You're dead, what happened? I have no idea. <laughs> the brick from the airplane <laughs> okay uh I, I was later explaining all this to Allison thinking you know,, uh, yeah, she has a very interesting approach and sequence here she was she was saying, you know she, i i I just have to think that she's heard this somewhere. There's something she's recounting to you." but it's just bits and pieces. It's kind of broken fragments. You know, maybe we'll get the full story one day. And I think we are like that. We have a lot of fragments of the truth about who we are. We uh, we are we are just showered in the truth of holy scripture and in the preaching of the word and there's a devotion for every day of the week times 10. You just can't do them all. This is what happens. You find out you become Catholic and, whoa, you know, you've really, you, you can't do it all. But we are be constantly being reminded uh, insofar as we're hearing the word preached, insofar as we are in fellowship with other Christians, we are we are given a, the opportunity to collect and gather up the truth about ourselves, but we walk around with, fragments, bits and pieces, and when we try to string them together into something coherent, our efforts sound a little bit more like Greta's than we'd like to admit. And so, what I thought I would begin with this afternoon is just with a, a list of literal fragments, and we won't be able to go through all of them. We won't even go through most of them. We'll look at a couple. My goal here is to, uh, is to help us get clear on who we are, to help you get clear on who you are. <clears throat> so everything I have to say and what follows, it, it, insofar as I'm concerned, is either informed by, through direct study, or, or otherwise indirectly shaped, or at least consonant with the teaching of St. Thomas Aquinas, who... I look to as a teacher, and I'll begin here just with a couple of points that that I want you to hear very distinctly before we consider the witness of Holy Scripture. So, Saint Thomas Aquinas, the metaphysician, the commentator on Aristotle, the king of syllogisms, the lumbering aloof or supposedly aloof saint, this very same St. Thomas Aquinas says, for in this way, we must accept the words of Christ, which are spoken in the scriptures as if we were hearing them from the mouth of the Lord himself. For he himself says in Mark thirteen thirty-seven, what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Now you could render that word "watch" in a couple of different ways, and there's a particularly terrible and sad irony in in uh, the way that uh, we this goes missing for us today. You might you might render this word "watch" here as "stay awake," like "stay woke," <laughs> you know you could be asleep you could walk through this life asleep you know stay awake be watchful the words i speak here i speak to everyone i speak to you so that's that's saint thomas's understanding of holy scripture it's a very it's it's a very traditional idea it's Aquinas notes here, it emerges out of Scripture itself. When we hear the Word of God, we hear the Word of God. It's the Word of God. Second quote, The speech with which the Lord speaks to us in the Scriptures has the same weight of authority as if the words were uttered by the mouth of the Savior himself. It's like he's saying, what Jesus says to says to his disciples, he says to you insofar as you're his disciple. Now there's another way in which God speaks, however. Thomas goes on. Another way in which God speaks inwardly or interiorly, according to the words of Psalm 84, I will hear what the Lord God speaks in me, which speech is indeed preferred to any external speech. Okay, So, the idea behind this passage is that the word of God, holy Scripture, when read, is in fact the word of God, and then there is another kind of speech, by which the gods, by which our God, our Lord, speaks to us, speaks to you. In that exterior speech, God speaks to you interiorly, as the psalmist says. I will hear what the Lord God says in me. So I have here the 32 passages that ChatGPT thinks that, um, that, no, that's a joke, that's a joke, it's a joke. Come on, it's the effort. All right. My, uh, what I want to do now is just, I mean, at random, I want to draw your attention to a couple of passages that if we take Aquinas' way of seeing Scripture seriously and adopt it as our own, uh, will inform our, our own our own lives. Even now, as I read these passages, I want you to hear not both what I'm saying, but hear what the Lord God speaks in you. How about this one? Number two, 1 Peter 2. Uh, uh, Chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, that you may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. How about this one? He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that that we should be holy and blameless before him. He destined us in love to be his sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, See what love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. This is an adventitious time, I think, to, to draw some summary points from our conversation thus far. You know, who you are is or what you think about who you are is informed by, I think, basically one of three things or some combination of them. Okay, there's first, there's first uh, what you say, what you think about who you are. Okay, then there's what other people say about you. And a lot of the time, a lot of the time, who we think we are is determined mostly by what other people say we are. We take we take for granted others' descriptions of us, we absorb them, inhabit them, and we live them out like scripts. But then there's what and who and what God says we are. And there, that's the only standard. <laughs> that's the truth. And when St. Paul talks about the transformation of the mind, uh, when, when St. Paul talks about the renewal of the inner man, you know, there's the old Paul, the one who keeps on doing what he doesn't want to do and not doing what he's, he, he says he wants to do, the old Paul. And then there's the new Paul, the new man. When, when St. Paul's talking about this, he's talking about his own under, self-understanding from the light of eternity. He's, conf, he's, he's in, exhorting us to conform our minds to the truth about us God, the world, our place in it, which must be told to us by God. As it turns out, we we uh, well we walk around with a lot of lies. I call the, I call these lies for for a very particular reason. And as I was thinking and praying about our conversation today, I I wrote down a couple of. Of things that I I thought might have the jingle of familiarity, the that that this might resonate. But um, how's this? You're a liar. You're a mistake. You're hopeless. Uh, you're a disappointment. Maybe some of you have heard that. Maybe someone, some of you have heard you're ugly. That you're crazy. That you're a fraud. You're like a fake and everyone's gonna find out. You're nobody. Just a number. I call these lies because they're not simply falsehoods. These are whispers. These are deceptions. And when you live with deceptions long enough, you lose the capacity to distinguish those deceptions from the truth. But you also lose the, when you listen to whispers and lies, you those whispers and lies begin to take begin to pose as thoughts we take for granted. But you're not you're none of those things. Those are all condemnations. None of those accusations come from the Lord. They're, that is not the voice of the Father. That's the voice of the enemy. You're not you're not your paycheck. You are not your prestigious job or your lack thereof. You are not a pornographer. A sexual deviant. You're not a failure. None of those things. These are lies from the pit of hell, and they circulate freely in our culture, and they arrive in many different forms. But they are, like all lies of the enemy, designed to do basically three things to distract you. I think I could fill I think I could fill many pages with passages like these. But these lies are meant to distract you from the truth about who you are. They're meant to divide you from one another, from yourselves. I mean, self-isolation is a kind of division, you know? It's you and everybody else. Me over here, everyone else over there, the world is trying to get you. That's a lie. I mean, it. well, at least the way you're thinking about it, it is. Okay? These are lies. And so what we have to do is to take up word of God we have to write these these words on our foreheads so to speak we have to um, store them up in our hearts we have to cherish them we have to I mean you learned your times tables you know like what's nine times nine anybody all of you, yeah, okay, good. All right, okay. But, hey, you know that, and there, you know, you know, you can go, you can go all day with this stuff. You know, fifteen quotes from The Big Lebowski, but how many, how much of Holy Scripture? I mean, maybe, maybe that I'm dating myself here. The Big Lebowski is a movie that came out when I was a young person, and all my, okay, all right. Don't just stick with me, please. Stick with me. This question about who we are, I think, has to be answered as as Father James answered it for us this morning in terms of a story. You know, the question of an I or a you or a we is a narrative question that really, really can't be answered in human terms without also posing a, n- a number of questions. And let's just say they can all be distilled, or at least most of them can be distilled to a small handful of questions. So one question would be, in addition to who, you, who are you, where are you? As in, what at what point in the story are you? Where or when are you? what's the problem and what's the solution so this is these are a series of questions that if answered would very quickly populate our minds with a cast of characters in which you would become be located right And there would be a story that that could be told and has been told and and will be told again and for all eternity about the saving work of Jesus Christ, the God-man, who loves you so much that he died for you, calls you by name. What gets in the way of... Our believing this story? Well, I've already suggested that we are very easily distracted, weighed down, confused by what are not merely falsehoods, but in fact a sequence of artfully contrived lies. But there's another source of confusion. Another lie, in fact, that sounds a little bit different than the lies that I was enumerating earlier and strangely, if some of those lies sounded familiar precisely as lies, you may recognize some of these too. How about this one? You're the greatest, you are the best. These people are dummies. Nobody gets it. That doesn't apply to me. I know that that's the way it is for everyone else, but somehow it just doesn't seem right to me. I'm above it. Um, how about this one? All those people who hurt you you're better than them. And they're all going to know it. Is that okay? Very different set of lies. These are lies that have to do with with pride. Okay, quick quick point about pride. So you may have you may have heard it said And there is a a sense in which it's it is true that pride is the the origin of sin. Okay, but strictly speaking, uh, according to Thomas, and 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 I think in fact, it's not the case. If if we if we're saying here that every sin we commit is motivated by pride, that this this loses its explanatory purchase we because it's in fact simply not the case that all of our sins are motivated by pride some of them are motivated by weakness some of them are motivated by ignorance some of them are motivated by just entrenched vice or malice you know you just you have bad habits i I have bad habits you know i mean there i mean there are sins that just become routine okay But then there there are sins of pride. Sins that are motivated specifically by uh, a a felt sense of one's own superiority. One's own own excellence. And that's what pride is, most fundamentally. It's an inordinate desire for one's own excellence. That being said, so let me just say one other quick point before I talk for a moment about the 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 nature of pride the dangers of pride and the effects of pride so I just said that pride is not the motivating cause of every sin whatsoever that being said it's also the case that the very the nature of pride okay is so proximate to the nature of sin itself okay Remember that, that, uh, that pathology that we were talking about this morning and the, the effects of original sin, malice, ignorance, we- weakness and all these things. The nature of pride is so nearly coincident with the nature of sin that it's very at least highly probable that all of us will at one point or another in some season of life be tempted by or struggle with pride the inordinate desire for one's own excellence. All right, so let me just parse that for a minute, that definition, before I talk about the uh, dangers of pride and its effects, and and then we'll, we'll have something to say about identity. Okay? So here's the first thing. Pride. It's the inordinate desire for one's own excellence. There are two words here, that can be glossed briefly the first is inordinate so it is not always wrong to experience gratification in one's achievements there is nothing it is no part of virtue to deny one's own gifts to deny that one has these particular gifts, or to, um, to exaggerate one's flaws or faults. okay, can't be any part of virtue to, to say or do things that do not accord with the truth of the matter. What pride is, is it isn't an inordinate. A, it is a misfiring, a short-circuited, a defective, desire for one's own excellence. We want more recognition, more more power, more praise than we are due. The second term to be glossed in the definition is excellence. So, sometimes St. Thomas will speak of excellence and goodness coincidentally so that these are basic synonyms but in when he's speaking of pride he's actually drawing a subtle distinction between goodness and excellence your goodness is like think of think of yourself forget all the lies and just think you're not nothing okay you're child of god you've been given indwelled by the trinity you are made new you are born again from above, you are endowed with graces and gifts, and they're good and beautiful. And you think of goodness as like the those virtues and those the, all those things I just described that make you to be a child of God or, or, or correlate to your status as a child of God. Those are good. Excellence differs from goodness in the way that Shining forth differs from light. There's the light itself, and then it's public display. It's outward shining. It's diffusion. And what pride has to do with, specifically, is inordinate desire for one's own excellence. It's not simply the... <laughs> it's not simply a desire for or a, a kind of infatuation or um, enchantment with one's own person, one's capacities or imagined capacities. It's a kind of infatuation with a, a cl- an inordinate clinging to the public manifestation of one's own excellence. Uh, Now, we could pause here to distinguish pride from vainglory. I'm not going to do that. These are different things, but it may sound like to you that we were talking about vanity earlier, okay? But I'm, I'm here describing pride. Okay. Here's the thing about pride. And my proposal is, again, that that you may not have a lot of pride, but you might have a little bit, and well, you, pro- you probably have a little bit of pride, or it's this—it's something that is familiar to you, that you've known as a temptation, and that you uh, are actively or or would like to actively be um, in prayer about with respect to your sanctification it's it's common enough here's the thing pride is has a couple of effects well numerous effects if we if we take seriously the idea that pride is the kind of it's not even a capital vice or a, one of the deadly sins it's more like the thing from which all the deadly sins can can emerge but it has many effects but the ones i'm thinking about here And uh, the principal effects of pride, as St. Thomas describes them, are 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 twofold. First is, it's the refusal to submit one's mind and heart to divine truth. So I can, I can make handouts for you. We can talk about them. We can, uh, we can commit them to memory. You have to be prepared, and if you are struggling with pride, you may struggle to cleave to the words of Scripture, to the Word of God. It's to put yourself under them, to allow yourself to be shaped by them, to allow God to describe you. To tell you who you are, rather than always telling God about who you are. I mean, it's a very strange thing that how this works, but sin there's nothing rational or <laughs> intelligible about sin. But it's, it's, isn't it very strange that sometimes what keeps us from accepting and living out the truth of God's promises to us is our refusal to accept God's promises. Who I don't need a promise? I don't need saved. Do I Maybe those people do. Certainly those people need saved, but I I don't need saved. Another effect of pride that interferes with our Conforming uh, our minds to the truth of God is is uh, is downstream of this first effect. And Thomas draws a distinction between two kinds of knowledge. There's knowledge of the truth, properly so-called. Someone asked a question about this earlier. Okay, you can know stuff. I know lots of stuff. I have a you know, it's like. My job. That's my. J- it is. It's a, it, okay. Yeah, uh, but it's not every day that I can savor what I know. Do you know what I'm talking about? Thomas calls this uh, effective knowledge. I'll give you the Latin later if you want it, want it. But it's he, this is this is his phrase effective knowledge. Pride keeps us from savoring, from tasting the sweetness of the truth. We can't, we, we refuse to submit to it. And by refusing to submit to it, we separate ourselves from it. Okay, but here's, here's the other danger. Here, these are the effects, and, but, but here I want to draw your attention to a, a, a danger, and this is also a danger that St. Thomas has helped me to understand. <clears> the <throat> okay. first thing to know about pride is it's in the will. Now, strangely, it has to do with a number of malformed judgments, falsehoods, I suggested earlier, some of which are consequent to actual lies, okay? We, we have a collection of judgments about ourselves and our relation to others that are false, and we, do, we cleave to or, have a, or become infatuated with our own gifts in light of those judgments. Nevertheless, pride something that's in the will, it's a defect of desire. It has to do with mal- with a, a malformed uh, understanding of, of who one is, but more fundamentally, it's about what we want. So that's the first point. There's four of them: pride's in the will. We want to be better than we are. We want to be? We want to be above what we are. The key word here being one. The second point is a point that Thomas makes that has, to, it's a, kind of an anthropological note about human beings. It's like, you know, if you were to say, be in the jungle studying chimpanzees, you would have a, a book of field notes and you'd, you'd start to take down little anecdotes about the way these creatures behave. And here's an anecdote about human beings that St. Thomas is aware of. And I think it's true that we're ordinarily ready to believe that what we want to be true really is true. Okay. So, I mean, what's like... Have the Cubs ever won a World Series? No. They did. They did. Everyone forgot about it, though. It's been a tough couple of years. Um. Uh, okay. Well, 2016. That's long enough. Okay. But you can imagine just being, you know, from Chicago land, and you know, just just really carrying a lot of heartache about the about the plight of the Cubbies, and. You, you miss the, the, uh, the World Series, and a friend calls you uh, during the game and says, Guess what? We just won. We swept the series. And you say, Really? And your friend goes, No! <laughs> we are innately, we're prepared to believe that what we want to be true really is true. It's a, this is just a kind of fact about... Our, our natural set of inclinations are the way we're set up. If it weren't this way, it, it would create a lot of bizarre problems in human life. We want to believe in what we wish were true, even if it's not. That's, so you take this first point about pride being in the will. You can join that to the second with our propensity to believe what we hope will be the case. And you combine that with a third fact, a third field note about human beings, and that's this. We are really bad at enduring pain. We can't do it for very long. Sorrow, pain, pain. Okay, these things are hard to live with. And we will generally, if we're able to, we will will find some way to escape from pain either by distracting ourselves with objects of pleasure, okay, or running from the object of pain, fleeing from it. Take point one, take point two, take point three, and... Combine them. What, where does that get you? Well, it just so happens now that you're the kind of creature, in light of this pathological uh, uh, stain of original sin that that um, that you carry even now, um, or at least it, you carry its effects. You take that, and you recognize human beings want, insofar as they're tempted by pride, want to be better than. They are, they ordinarily are prepared to believe things that are, are true, even uh, though they're not, though they want them to be, and we flee from pain. Well, what's this mean? We when we desire to be better than we are, and we live with a recognition that what we want for ourselves is different than the truth about ourselves. I want to be the best. I want to be. I want more security. I want more money. I want. I deserve it, and so on and so forth. I. I. I ought to be married by now. Who this? This person um, shouldn't treat me like this. I, I. I. I don't deserve that, so on and so forth. We. We be when we live with the fact that there's a major divide between. Who we would like to be and who we actually are. Okay? That causes us pain. You ever, you know, you ever just felt the pain of, of wishing things were different? Thomas sees that we are so ready to flee from pain and so eager to trick ourselves that when pride becomes entrenched we actually come to believe that we're better than we are. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. Because here here the will has done a real number on the intellect. Okay? It's a kind of, it's it's in some sense, a kind of reversal of the order that God intends for the intellect and will, as as we were describing here this morning. Okay? So, we ought to see God, ourselves, the world, our place in it, one another, as God sees it. Very often we don't. The sources of that confusion are multiple but insofar as that confusion arises from pride as i'm describing it here we won't come to know the truth about ourselves we won't be able to taste the sweetness of the words of scripture until god does something for us in us Uh, by rooting out pride. So, what I wanna suggest, just to briefly conclude this afternoon is, these questions about identity will remain opaque insofar as we are blinded by our own inordinate desires. What we need is not just to know who we are or be told who we are. We, we really do need God to show us. And we need rescued from our own proclivities. I'm gonna talk about that tomorrow. I'm gonna to talk about humility. I'm gonna talk about the gift of fear. I'm going to talk about the grace that God gives us to um, heed the words of Christ who says, learn of me, for I'm meek and humble. But I thought we should put a couple of things about pride on the table first. Thanks for listening to this lecture on the Thomistic Institute podcast. The generosity of people like you makes this podcast possible. If you enjoy these talks, please consider showing your support at www.thamisticinstitute.org slash donate. Your donation of even a dollar helps us reach more college students and many others with the powerful truths of the faith, and it ensures that we can keep publishing top-notch lectures on this podcast. Thanks a lot.